Hallelujah. Why don't we praise him together? Everybody lifting your hands. Come on, let's magnify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. <laughs> My, what an anointing that's in this house. Let's reach for it right now. I love you, Jesus. I magnify your name, Jesus. <laughs> I bless the name of the Lord. Boy, there's a heavy anointing in this place. I, let's don't rush it. Let's entertain it just to hear a moment here. Come on, that's it. There's a heavy anointing in this place. Let's push into it. Jesus. Shake this house tonight, Holy Ghost. Have your way in this place. God, open every heart, every spirit, every mind. Mm. Hallelujah. How many of you appreciate what you feel? I'm not in a hurry. saying that it was such a pleasant thing to walk in uh, to the building tonight and see Brother Godare in this building. I think so many people were relieved by that. What an honor, what an honor it was to be uh, asked to be a part of this conference. I've came on a number of occasions and uh, just never even crossed my mind that I'd be here preaching tonight. And uh, what, man, what an honor it is! And uh, so we're going to get our part out of the way and get to the preaching here tomorrow. I'm looking forward to all these great preachers and give an honor to all the ministry that here that is here tonight. And uh, some of my favorite preachers to listen to preach are preaching this week, and uh, I can't wait to hear them. So excited about hearing a number of these men, and uh, even uh, some men that I preached for when I'm a, I was evangelizing. Let me get started, and uh, I'm glad they're, they're here tonight. I'm glad they're going to be preaching 
in this conference. Thank you for the accommodations. And Brother Godair, thank you for the wonderful accommodations and everything. It's just first class around here, isn't it? First class operation. And uh, just glad and honored to be here tonight. Uh, boy, there's such a tremendous anointing in the house tonight. And um, such a tremendous anointing of the Spirit of God. And I'm excited about what he's going to do in this place. Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. And uh, there's a lot of things that uh, I, I could say. But uh, how many of you just let me bypass all that and just launch right out in the Word? Will you let me do that without thinking I'm rude? I give honor to all the ministry, the leadership of this church. Um, tremendous singing tonight. Thank you so much. Brother Johnson did a great job with the service. And uh, Job chapter 38 and verse 36. I wish my wife and children could be here, uh, but they're, we have prayer meeting tonight. And uh, if the speaker after prayer meeting wasn't long-winded, then my wife's listening. If he was, then she's not. So I love you, sweetheart, if you're out there somewhere. Job chapter 38 and uh, 36. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who hath put wisdom in the inward part? And who hath given understanding to the heart? I want to preach to you for a little while about wisdom tonight. I want to preach to you about wisdom. Uh, would you just lift your hands and ask the Lord to speak and have his way. Come on, somebody cry out to him right now. Jesus. Jesus. Mm. My, 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 my. I need you, Holy Ghost. I need you, Holy Ghost. I need you, Jesus. One more passage before you're seated. Psalm 111. Psalm 111 and verse 10. Psalms 111 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, I'm going to ask for a little bit of leeway and mercy tonight um, because what I'm going to attempt to do is going to be a tough job. And the reason that it is is because you're going to have to think with me 
because the translators who translated the Bible 400 years ago um, was not thinking about this message that I'm going to preach tonight when they did that translation. <clears throat> and so, um, it does not change the trueness of what I'm going to preach, but it does make it a little difficult. Because when I went through the Bible and did a word search, uh, the hundreds of men who translated this Bible, the King James Version that we use in the English um, 400 years ago, um, some of them used the word wisdom and knowledge interchangeably. It's not that way in every situation, but in some situations, uh, for the case of the message that I'm going to preach tonight, I would have used the word wisdom there if I'd have been translated and they used the word knowledge. But 400 years later, for the way that we understand the English language, the way I'm going to preach it tonight, there is a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to preach wisdom as the gift of God. And the only place you can get it is from God. And I'm going to use knowledge as something that is acquired, something that can be purchased, and something that can be bought. But according to Proverbs 17 and 16, you can't buy wisdom. You can buy knowledge. If you want to build a log house, you can go down to the local hardware store. You can buy a book. And um, if you'll study that book enough and uh, pray, pay the right price for the right one, uh, you can build yourself a log house. And you can go to the local college, and if you can uh, sign up for the classes, and you can pay enough money and it gets more expensive every year, then you can have yourself an education that will give you knowledge. But there is a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about the difference between the two. Now, uh, it started in the garden. It started with Adam. Adam uh, was created out of the dust of the earth. And the Bible tells us about how uh, Adam was created. It describes Adam's, uh, the, the, the way in Genesis 2 and 7, it tells us that he formed, God formed the body. And then he breathed into him the spirit. And then he became a living soul. And from that we get the three components that make up man. Each individual that is sitting in this building is made up of the three components, body, soul, and spirit. And so again, God formed the body. And he breathed the spirit. 
and somehow, I, I can't tell you I, I wasn't there, but somehow when all that culminated together, the joining of the spirit and the body created a living soul. And he's made up, man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. And each individual in this building is made up of body, soul, and spirit. Now, I'll just tell you, uh, everyone agrees that we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And I really can't figure out uh, what the Trinitarian's problem is with understanding since we were made in the image of God and after the likeness of God. I really don't, can't understand how they can understand body, soul, and spirit, but they can't understand Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. If you're going to call him three, you've got to call me three. I'm made in his image. I'm after his likeness. I'm body, soul, and spirit, but I'm not three. I am one. I am one. And he is one. And so Adam, Adam, uh, the breath of life is breathed into him and he becomes a living soul. And he stands up and he looks around and he knows everything. Immediately. He needs no education. A bird flies by and Adam knows what that bird is and what its name is and what its habitat is and where it nests and what it eats. And he knows its name. And a lion walks by and Adam says, Hello, Mr. Lion. And the lion says, Hello, Adam. Now you're laughing, but I really believe that's the way it was. And Adam knew everything about the lion, and the lion was no danger to Adam. Now God gave Adam a tall order in Genesis 1 and 27 through 28 because he tells him to dominate the earth. And he tells him to subdue it. That's, that's big stuff. Now, you, you don't have to believe it this way, but in order for him to dominate the earth, I personally do not believe that Adam uh, was restrained to the third dimension that we are restrained to. I believe he had the ability to move across the whole earth. And I believe that he had the wisdom of God. Therefore, he knew the things that God knew. And God gave him jobs because a man that don't have anything to do don't have anything to talk about. I don't like to talk to people that don't know anything because they don't do anything. And so he had a job to do. And God told him to dress the garden and to keep it, and to name all of the animals, all of the birds, all of the fish. That's a big job. 
That's a real big job. My grandma can't remember her grandkids' names. But Adam remembered every name of every species of fish. And if you know God like I know God, creation didn't stop on that sixth day. God may have rested on the seventh, but I'm going to tell you at the beginning of the week, He started creating again. And He's still creating right now. Creation is not a past tense word. Creation is an action word. That it, they're still finding new species they never knew existed. You know why? Because God is still... I, I tell you what, He creates in your church every Sunday morning. He creates new identities and He... He creates new lives and He creates new futures. And Yes, He does. He creates new dreams and new visions. And if He don't, you better find another place to go to church. God is ever creating. He's creating right now. And so Adam had wisdom. How much wisdom did he have? I don't know. He, he may have knew everything God knew. And God gave him that wisdom as a gift and, and it was not a learning process. He just knew. It, it, it was not a learning process. He just knew. And I won't belabor it, but everywhere he looked, he saw trees and he saw the moon. He, he looked and he saw the sun and he saw things and he knew what they were and he knew how far they were from earth and he, he understood the mechanics and the working of everything around him. And he did his job and at the end of the day, God walked with him in the cool of the evening and they discussed and talked about God's creation and God's things and God was getting a whole lot more out of it than Adam was. Because that's what God wanted. And that's what God desired. Now there's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge because wisdom comes whole. And knowledge comes piecemeal. Knowledge is a gradual process. Knowledge is a trying task. Knowledge escapes you and you try to lay your hand on it and it wiggles out from your grasp and finally you get your mind wrapped. That's not the way wisdom happens. If you're in this house and you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you're a tongue-talking believer, there have been times that wisdom has came to you as a gift concerning situations, maybe with your children or family members. Or If you're a pastor in this church, you know what I'm talking about of how you have trouble. You, there's something going on in the church and you can't quite lay your hand on it. Something isn't right. Something's odd. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you sit up in bed and you just know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you can't describe how you know you don't know. You know where it came from. It came from God. And no one would ever understand that you know what you know. And 
You, you can't tell them where it came from except from God. But all of a sudden, what has been escaping, what you have been wondering about, you just know what's going on. And it's called wisdom. The gift of wisdom, the same way it came to Adam. You, you just know. You, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to work on it. You don't have to work out the mechanics of it. It just absolutely drops into your spirit and you just know. But knowledge takes a little while. Knowledge is a, a process and, and knowledge Knowledge, knowledge is a dangerous thing because some knowledge is good. But some knowledge is evil. And I personally believe all the knowledge that Adam and Eve needed was encapsulated in wisdom. But there was a tree in the midst of the garden. And it is amazing what the name of that tree was. It was the tree of knowledge. And Adam and Eve, to speed things along because the clock is haunting me. The amazing thing is that Adam and Eve made an exchange. And they traded wisdom for knowledge. And a terrible thing happened when Adam and Eve partook of that tree. Because when they partook of that tree, wisdom began to leave them. Because they made a transaction. Whether they had complete understanding of the transaction they were making, I, I, I can't answer but they made a transaction. And somewhere hidden under the carnality and the flesh of knowledge, deep into man goes a thing called wisdom. And Adam is now trapped in morose carnality and knowledge. He's now trapped into a third dimension. Everything changes for him. And now he is just a man, a fallen man, a man that somehow must now search for wisdom. He's got to look for it. And he's got to hunt for it. You see, God wanted to be Adam and Eve's sole educator. He wanted to be their sole educator. He didn't want them to know anything connected with that tree. I, I personally believe that, that the tree that was the knowledge of good and evil, that all the good they could find out in that tree, they already had. And what God was protecting them from was the evil knowledge. 
Now, I want you to know tonight that I am not preaching against education. When I make these next few statements, you're going to think, if you're not careful, well, he's against education. I never want to be guilty of, of tearing one thing down to build another thing up. So understand that I'm, knowledge is good. There is a good knowledge. But you remember this. Wisdom can stand alone without any kind of knowledge at all. But knowledge without wisdom corrupts. And when you seek knowledge without backing it up with God's wisdom, it will corrupt you every time. It will corrupt you every time. It, it will corrupt you. That's where false doctrine comes from. That's, that's where the emerging church comes from. That, false doctrine comes from people that seek knowledge without backing it up with wisdom. Knowledge without wisdom is a dangerous thing. And it will absolutely corrupt you. I, I was amazed when I took the church that I pastor, and I will say this real quickly, uh, but the, the, I went to an area of the world that wasn't far from the famed Delta. And in 98, when I took that church, there were still a few alive. They're all gone now but there were still a few left who were in their 70s, 80s that were the children of sharecroppers. And uh, my, what a, what a, what a rough-hewn group of people these people were. They grew up uh, just when they were old enough to pull a cotton sack, they were pulling a cotton sack picking cotton. They never had the opportunity to go to school because it took the entire family to make enough money to put food on the table. And uh, these people were in uh, my church. I, I had never been around people like that. I've got to be honest. I was raised in Texas. I'd never been a, around folks uh, just exactly like that. Uh, they could not read or write. Their tithing envelope would be turned in. Literally, I had heard people. I thought it was a joke that you put X because you couldn't spell your name. I saw people who actually put an X on the envelope. And you had to decipher uh, who it was. And uh, just just children of sharecroppers. There was another group in that church. Thank God I had some young couples uh, when I took that church. And the, the difference uh, was these young couples were all uh, either in college or had gone to college. So I had uh, college graduates and college students. And I had the ch children of sharecroppers and not a whole lot between the two. And uh, something amazing came out of that. That was the fact that I'd have a men's meeting because we needed to uh, re-roof the church or, or whatever the uh, situation was. And uh, the education didn't seem to do a whole lot of good. <clears throat> but in a few minutes, one of those old sharecroppers would step forward and say, I'm not very educated, Brother Copeland, but I got the idea that we could do this. And wisdom would roll out of that man's mouth. He might not have known much about books and learning, but somewhere down on his knees, he...
I'm going to tell you, it takes wisdom to live for God. I'm going to say that again because I didn't get the response I wanted. It takes wisdom to live for God. It takes wisdom to live life. I want to make this statement. I, I don't want to run out of time here, but I want to make this statement right quick. Uh, I, I don't, every once in a while it happens, but being there 15 years, I, I've seen one or two lose out with God. And it's an amazing thing that I've never had anyone that I can remember lose out with God just simply because they wanted the world. In fact, I've got people in my town that used to go to my church that don't go there anymore. And when you pass them in town, you would still think they're a part of our church. They still look just like a Pentecostal. But they don't go to church. And I got to praying about that and maybe that's where some of this message came from. But I realized they didn't backslide because they want the world. If they would have, they would have it. They backslid because they didn't have the wisdom that it took to deal with life. Life threw them a curve and they didn't have the wisdom to deal with that curveball. You, you, you can't learn how to deal with life. I don't care how many degrees you get. I, you, you can't go to college and learn how to bury a baby and keep living for God. You, 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 there's no college that will, will get a person ready for what a young couple in my church just went through. A young couple in my church just buried their 12-year-old boy as a result of a four-wheeler accident. And I'm going to tell you, it wouldn't matter how many colleges they went to. It wouldn't matter what kind of degrees they had on their wall. It wouldn't matter how smart they were. It wouldn't matter what their grade point average was. Only one thing has brought them through that and kept them on those pews shouting and dancing and talking. And that is the wisdom of God. If, if you're going to live for God and live for God successfully, you've got to have wisdom. Only wisdom can do that. Please be seated. i got a long way to go and I, I don't want to oversimplify. I do not want to oversimplify. But in all honesty, I've got young couples or have pastored in the past young couples that could have a flat tire on the way to church and get so discouraged. They didn't know if they was ever going back. I'm talking about educated young couples. People that you think had good sense. And a flat tire, they don't know how to deal with it. They can explain quantum mechanics, quantum physics, but they don't know how to spiritually survive because they don't have the money for that flat tire. Now, why would God do this?
But I was there when a sharecropper found out that her granddaughter murdered her two grandkids. And she come up out of that wheelchair on the Sunday night after their funeral when they'd hauled her daughter-in-law off to jail. And she said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Only wisdom, only wisdom in your inner parts, only the wisdom of God somewhere in your spirit can give you the courage and the authority Be seated, I've got to go on. So, and something happened in that garden. Something happened in that garden. And, and the only way I know how to put it into words where you can understand what I'm trying to say, it may not have happened exactly like this, but this will give you a good word picture, is we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And spirit is what puts us in touch with God. Our spirit is what contacts God. Our spirit is where the Holy Ghost dwells when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. And then the soul of a man is his own will. His own will. And that soul is a naughty fellow. Yes, it is. And a man's body is just absolutely... Just absolutely the servant of whichever one's in control in your life. If that soul is in control, you're going to do carnal things and you're going to read carnal things and you're going to listen to carnal things. You're going to fill yourself with carnality and the spirit will wither and die inside of you. And that's where backsliding comes from. On the other side, if the spirit is in control then you're going to read your word and you're going to have a call to prayer. That book's going to call you and that, that prayer room's going to call you and prayer time's going to call you. Now I've heard people say, well, they, they, uh, that someone has a physical addiction and, and it's a physical addiction. Some things are a physical addiction. Some things are a mental addiction. I, I totally disagree with that the reason why is because I've been to the hospital too many times to pray for a backslider someone that's never been in the church that is a chain smoker that is in a coma and the whole time they're in a coma that body does not ask for one cigarette but the minute they come out of that coma I'm going to tell you what your body is. Your body is just strictly a vessel and a servant. And what the fall did, I personally believe, and for our own understanding and own word picture, I believe what the fall did is somehow the soul and the spirit were cohesive. They were almost one. And the fall separated the soul and the spirit of a man. 
and they became at war or enemies with one another. And the soul is where knowledge dwells. And the spirit is where the wisdom of God dwells. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to pastor a church and you're going to have revival in your town, you've got to have wisdom in your spirit to do that. Now here's, here's what, here's the dilemma that Adam put us in. Adam who once just knew. And that's exactly the way it works. You, you just know. I, I'm, I'm going to say this and I'm here. Brother, Brother Godair is one of the most uh, fabulous Bible study teachers and avid Bible study teachers that there is. And again, uh, man, I got a guy wrote a Bible study, Brother Sterling Busby, great. He, he's out of our church and he does a great job. Listen, I'm not against Bible studies. I have, I have invested thousands in Bible studies. But at the same time, no one has ever taught anyone the wisdom of, uh, uh, nobody's ever taught anyone the oneness of God through a Bible study. Now, just let that sink in. I'm going to tell you, if they get the oneness of God, it's because God, it is wisdom that God imparts. Now, that don't mean we don't teach them. The only way we can get them interested and get them there and get them open to it is teach them. But have you ever noticed they don't say, I think I'm getting it. I'm understanding a little more. I think I'm putting A, a and B together. No. Sometimes you teach two and they get it. Sometimes you teach ten. We just had some people that was in Bible study for six years. We were running out of Bible studies. I had a guy teaching special Bible studies just for them. But it was worth it. And it didn't happen in a Bible study. We finally got these Baptists to come to church. I mean a Pentecostal church. They were regular to their Baptist church. They were good Baptists. I love Baptists. They just need the Holy Ghost. And, and, and she taught Sunday school and he was a big part. But, and I mean it was on, but I, I'll never forget on the Sunday night, I was preaching on Jesus' name baptism and the oneness of God. And she came out of that pew. I mean all at once, after all those Bible studies, it came as wisdom. It didn't come in piecemeal. I'm telling you, baby, she understood it right then. She... I hadn't even finished preaching. I hadn't even finished preaching. And she come up that center aisle in that big old building with all those people there. You know, you know she got a revelation. 
came running up there with her hands in there and she was screaming so loud I heard her over the microphone I was preaching in. She said, you got to baptize me in Jesus' name tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how wisdom comes. That's how wisdom, it comes out. And I'm going to tell you, these people talk about I was looking for God and I was searching for God. I'm just telling you, after 15 years of pastoring, I, I, I don't believe that. I believe if you're hunting God, it's because God's calling you. It's because God's given you. God finds us. We don't find Him. Some of you, the reason you're in this church, you came, you came to get a friend off your back. You, you came to get somebody to shut up and leave you alone. But somewhere in the middle of a church service, wisdom hit, and all at once. You don't have, you didn't have to learn it. You didn't have to go to school. You went from being a rank sinner that didn't want God to all at once, all at once through wisdom. You knew you needed Him. You knew you were in trouble. You knew you had to be baptized. You knew you needed the Holy Ghost. And it happened. Bam! Wisdom. Please be seated. But wisdom has an enemy. Wisdom has an enemy, and that enemy is knowledge. Your spirit has an enemy, and its enemy is the soul. On the sea that night, Peter heard wisdom say, You ought to get out of that boat and walk to Jesus. And knowledge said, do I have to explain physics to you? What do you weigh? 180 pounds? You're going straight to the bottom if you get out of that boat. And wisdom said, come. Wisdom said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And knowledge said, it's just a boneyard. There's nothing but dry, dusty, crusty, brittle bones. But wisdom said, tell me, son of man, can these bones live? And knowledge, knowledge said, it's just a boneyard. You, 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 you better not get involved in this. But wisdom said, prophesy to them. And the prophet, somehow his spirit that was full of wisdom was stronger. That's what the secret is. Than his soul. And he began to prophesy. And he prophesied. And he prophesied until he died. And somewhere between three and four thousand years later, those bones lived. The question is, do you have enough wisdom in you 
to hang on until the miracle comes. To not lose your vision. To believe wisdom is right over knowledge. My God, I, I feel like I'm preaching to a home missionary right now. I, that's a, I, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody that's just, maybe you've lost some people. Maybe the churches, maybe finances are down right now and you're, you're starting to wonder what should we do. I'm going to tell you what you do. You stand with your prophecy. You stand with your vision. You stand with the word of wisdom that comes. You make up in your mind. I'm going to grab a hold of the vision and I'm hanging on. I need three guys. Three guys. Come here. Man, i got to get through. I'm running out of time. Come on. I need three guys. Quickly, be seated. I need three guys. Now, here's the state that Adam got us in. Here's where you and I run into trouble. Somebody said, well, Brother Copeland, if it's just that easy, if it's just that easy, spread out across here for the thing. Now, I'm going to name these guys, okay? And you've got to remember who they are. This is spirit right here. This is spirit, okay? This is soul. And this is body. Now, usually you see a picture of nesting. But we're certainly not going to make these guys nest tonight. So I'm going to spread them out where they're nice and comfortable. Spirit is the only part of you that can contact God. The spirit of a man. That's where the Holy Ghost lives when you're filled with His spirit. Right here in your spirit. I'm going to tell you what your spirit is. It is the real you. And then there's the soul. The soul is that part of you that in the garden before the fall was so bound to the spirit. They were so one that you almost couldn't tell them apart. And we still can't. It was Hebrews that explains to us in the fourth chapter that the only person that can divide asunder the soul and the spirit is God. We get confused. We, we have no problem separating the body from the other two. But we got a real problem with these two. And, and, and that's no big deal if you've ever debated or worked with a Trinitarian much. That's the same place they have problem with God. They don't have any problem separating the body. You get to arguing with them and they'll go to God on you real quick. Because this is where they have problem is separating the Father and the Holy Ghost. They don't have any trouble with the body over there. They can separate Him. And it's because we're made in the image of God and after the likeness of God. And really, these should be so one. And that's exactly what I believe is going to happen when the mortal takes on immortality. This war that is within us one more time will be over as the soul comes under submission to the spirit of a man and the will of God.
This is why the Bible explains to us that we need prayer and we need the Word. And Paul, Paul said, I die daily. I don't have time to go there, but Paul said, I die daily. Da- daily. What do you do? I'm repenting daily. What are you repenting of? I'm repenting that my soul is at war with my spirit. I'm repenting that my will is wanting to run my life over God's will. What does prayer do? Prayer keeps the soul. Put your arm over his shoulder. Put your arm over his shoulder. Prayer keeps the soul under submission to the Spirit, which is ruled by God's Spirit. And when prayer and repentance is not a daily lifestyle, the soul gets in the trouble Paul was in when Paul said, my, 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 my soul, I'm going to tell you the things that I wouldn't do, I find myself doing. What's the problem? The soul needs to be put back under submission. I'm going to tell you, whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to rule and control what you do and where you're going. If you're reading your word and you're praying and you're seeking God, this spirit is going to be strong and it's going to be powerful and it's easily going to conquer the will of the flesh. But if you're not, and you're feeding yourself internet surfing and YouTube and ungodliness, I, I, when, when you understand this concept and you have young people come in your office and you, they say, I'm struggling, Pastor, then all you've got to do is ask them, where are you spending your time? Bottom line. If you're feeding that soul carnality, even if it's not sin, if you're feeding the soul carnality, it is going to whip the spirit under subjection. Too much carnality, even if we classify it as not sin, and the next thing you know, you don't want to pray. You hadn't been sinning, but you just, you're just not interested. Why? Because this guy has gotten real strong. He's empowered. He's in control. And he is at enmity with the things of the Spirit. Now here's where the real difficulty comes in. Come over here just a second. And think about this with me because this is so important. How does wisdom sense the fall? How does wisdom get to the Spirit to empower the Spirit because that's what empowers the Spirit is wisdom. How do you come strong? Become strong spiritually. The wisdom that's preached over the pulpit in your local church. The, the, the preaching in the conference. Without it, this guy's going to die. The only thing that feeds this guy is the wisdom of God. How do you get wisdom? Through, through the reading of the Word. You, you, you read your Word, and as you read your Word, as you read the book, it feeds wisdom. The only problem is it has a horrible obstacle course that it's got to go through to get there. 
Here's the journey that wisdom has to take when you read your book. It's got to come through the eyes of the flesh. It's got to come through the mind or the soul. It's got to go through enemy territory. It's going to be sabotaged. It's going to attempt, they're going to attempt to taint it. They're going to attempt to twist it. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing the devil likes to do anymore than use the very book that brought you to salvation to lead you away from salvation. Nothing he enjoys it. And if this guy right here is too strong, what happens is every time you hear your preacher preach. I have had times in my church that the same preaching I was doing a month before that delighted a man in my church started making him so mad. I hadn't changed. I was preaching the same way. Preaching out of the same book. What was the problem? Something got a hold of his soul. What happens when the wisdom of God that keeps this guy strong, keeps this guy in control, has to come through your ears or come through your eyes and it's got to come through internet pornography? It's got to wade through the gossip that Sister Bertha better than you called and told you. It's got to wade through an offended spirit. It's got to wade through severe carnality. How much of that wonderful message your pastor preached on Sunday night actually gets to your spirit? And once it gets there, how many hitchhiking spirits did it pick up? I've got through preaching on a Sunday night, thought I did a tremendous job, and on the way out of service, shake someone's hand, and they say, boy, Brother Copeland, I really got something out of that. Man, that, that point you made about thus and so, and I think, what are you talking about? That was not what I was saying. There's nothing the devil loves any more than for the preacher to preach a good T-bone steak of a message. And before it can ever get to the spirit, the soul, likes to add its own seasoning. It likes to add its own flavor. And by the time it gets to the spirit of a man, it don't taste anything like what that pastor preached. I'm preaching to you about the peril. This is why 
the book said you need washing and renewing of the mind. Regeneration of the spirit. That's why a prayer room is so important. You're, you're doing yourself an injustice if you take your filthy, ungodly, carnal soul through the back doors of the church, right as church is starting, and set him on the pew full of all the stuff you've been through that day, all the confusion and all the arguing and all the problems on the job. And expect the Word of God that's preached that night to make its way to wade through all of that stuff and feed your spirit. I'm telling you right now, the prayer room is the most necessary place in your church. It is the most necessary place. You better get in there and wash that soul. Wash that soul. Wash that soul. Cleanse that soul. Weep and cry and repent and say, wash me with hyssop that I might be clean. Wash me that I might be whiter than snow. Man, be, be seated. I've, I've got to get through. I've got to get through. I, I, I know I do. But, but listen, you've you got to get a hold of this. I believe the peril of Pentecost in 2013 is dirty souls. In fact, you don't have to do this. You don't even have to agree with me. But I'm telling you what I preach in, my, in, in our church. If you're not going to have a prayer life, please don't read your Bible. The greatest false doctrines that's worked their way through Pentecost has came from people that study the Bible without a prayer life. It gets in their soul and it gets so cankered and tainted from a filthy soul. A soul that's full of bitterness and a soul that's uh, angry at preachers and a soul that's mad at the man of God. And a soul that's backslid. Does anybody understand the obstacle course? That precious word of God, that precious preached word, that precious word that you're reading, if it's going to get to your soul and feed your soul, it's got, it, 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 it's, it's got to parachute into enemy territory. And it's got to crawl under barbed wire and avoid the carnality of carnal spirits and ungodly spirits that... that that would love to just take it out completely, but if they take, can't take it out completely, they shoot it full of enough trash. How much of it actually gets to the soul? I've had the same thing some of you have had. People sit on in my office and say, Brother Copeland, we're leaving. We're going to go somewhere else. We're just not being fed well, what about all the rest of them out there that's doing just fine? Is it, is, it, is it really that I'm not preaching or that you've got a soul that's so carnal and so ungodly that nothing that's preached and nothing that's read can ever complete the journey? 
I'm telling you, if you're going to be saved, if you're going to make it to heaven, and I know what I'm saying here. I know what I'm saying here. But I'm going to tell you, God saves our spirit. God redeems our spirit. God saves our spirit. But the reason people backslide is because they don't understand it's up to us to redeem our soul. Through prayer and through fasting and through repentance and through a continual altar. If I'll keep my soul redeemed through repentance and prayer, God won't have any problems getting wisdom to my inward parts. But thank God, and I'm closing, thank God that's not the end of the story. When God showed me this in the Spirit, I began to shake my head and weep and I said, God, there's got to be some hope somewhere. Somewhere there's got to be some hope. And I'm telling you, if God's ever shown me anything in my lifetime, He showed me a bypass to where wisdom can bypass the body and the soul and come straight into the spirit of a man. It is a channel that runs from the spirit and bypasses the body and soul. It's a direct channel to the heavenlies. Jude describes it in Jude 1 and 20. Brother, you got your Bible open. Go to Jude 1 and 20 and read loudly for me, please. In Jude 1 and 20, Jude describes a bypass to the body and the soul. And every apostolic preacher, every apostolic man and woman that wants to be saved has got to participate regularly in this bypass. But ye beloved, building up yourselves, building up your wisdom, come on, in your most holy faith, yeah, how do you do it? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. It's the bypass. It's the bypass. It's the hookup. It's the hookup that hooks us to the spout where the glory and the wisdom of God comes down into our spirit. It gives us strength. It gives us wisdom. It grants us understanding. Be seated. I can't count the times, even as a pastor. And here's what we run into. And stay with me just a second, guys. But here's what we run into. Thank you. Y'all don't have to do that no more. I know you don't want to. If you do, we got big problems. Thank you. These guys are great. Listen. Our problem is not just with wisdom coming in. Our problem is also the other way. Because think about when your spirit wants to talk to God. Look at the mess Adam got us in. When your spirit wants to talk to God, it has to put all these feelings into the soul. 
and then that carnal mind. Carnality is trying to talk to holiness. The finite is trying to speak with the infinite. And you can act spiritual if you want to. I'm going to be honest. My prayers always start real bad. Oh, God. Come on, anybody else? God. I mean, you're looking for words. You're hunting for it because you're trying to formulate words to talk to a spirit from out of carnal flesh. You got all these feelings. You got all these things you want to tell God, and, it, and it's coming out like blue. The spirit is screaming to converse with God. But it's got to use the enemy to interpret. It's got to use the one that don't want to pray. To tell God what your spirit's trying to say. And every few minutes he's saying, are you through with this already? I mean, I know you got a big burden to talk to God and all that, but I got other things I'd like to do. And your spirit said, No, you got to stay here. I got some things I want to tell God. And sometimes I wonder if He's doing it to me on purpose, but everything I'm telling Him to say, He says it wrong. And I'm trapped. I'm a prisoner. Brother Godera, I'm an ambassador in bonds. I'm trying to get my prison warden to send a message for me. But then all of a sudden, if I'll stay long enough, Start feeling something, brother. God's had mercy on me. And He's hooked the line up to my spirit. And the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, my attorney, says, Flesh, soul, sit down and shut up. I'll do this talking for it. And all of a sudden, wisdom starts talking with wisdom. Ah, the wisdom in my spirit starts talking to the wisdom of God. And there's a converse that reminds you of Adam talking to God in the garden before the fall. You know what Pentecost needs? It needs a revival like never before of praying in the Holy Ghost. People that know how to pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on. Come on, I'm finished. Musicians, come on. But reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out. Come on. 
Nobody looking around, please. Everybody entertaining the Holy Ghost just a moment. Boy, there's something about to happen in this house. I came to bring somebody hope in this house. Listen to me. I'm talking to a preacher's wife right now. That you've been struggling with just what I preached with, preached about. You've been trying to talk to God. You've been trying to pray. You feel like you're up against it. You feel like you're up against a wall. I'm bringing you your answer tonight. You don't have to formulate it in your own words. How many times, how many times have I went to the church and when I went in, I was operating in carnal knowledge. God, you need to fix them. God, you need to make them come to me and get this right. Kill them, God. I know y'all don't do that, but I do. Kill them. Don't you let them buy with that. You let them, you let them backslide and walk out and do all that kind of stuff and, and they'll make everybody think that's okay to act that way. You better deal with them. But by the time I walk out, wisdom has replaced knowledge. And I'm saying, God, please be merciful to them. Please be merciful to them, God. God, show you're a God of mercy. I'm going to tell you, when my, when my attorney, when my advocate shows up, sometimes he talks to God and I don't even understand what they're saying. But I know something's changing inside. I wish I could hear that sound I used to hear years ago when I was a boy in Pentecost. It was the old mother's design when they tapped into intercessory prayer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Read it, brother. This Likewise, is what we need. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Yes, He does. For we know not what we should pray. We don't even know how to pray. For as we ought. Come on. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us yeah. with, groanings, with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm telling you your answer tonight. Somebody said, I'm going to this conference looking for an answer. I'm going to this conference. I need an answer. I'm telling you, quit trying to articulate it. Quit trying to explain it to God. Stop trying to draw Him a road map out of your carnal mind. And walk down these aisles with both hands in the air and say, God, I need my attorney to show up. I'm going to quit trying to articulate it. I'm just going to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm just going to lay across an altar and groan tonight. I'm going to let wisdom talk to wisdom. I'm going to let the wisdom of God. My God, come on, reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out. Come on, somebody needs the answer tonight. Oh, prepare an entrance for 
That's what holy Pentecost needs. And let my heart be. Pentecost needs a revival of praying in the Holy Ghost. Don't pray till you feel better. Pray till our praying through gets a hold of you. My God, I wish people would be hauled out of here talking in tongues tonight. I wish we'd haul them out of here drunk in the Holy Ghost. A revival of praying in the Holy Ghost. A revival in intercessory prayer. A revival of travail. Yeah. Mm-hmm.